You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. In 2011, the United Nations declared October 11 International Day of the Girl Child. Of course, there's a resolution to go along with that, and it states empowerment of and investment in girls are key in breaking the cycle of discrimination and violence and in promoting and protecting the full and effective enjoyment of their human rights. Girls face discrimination across cultures, borders and disciplines. In Australia, Shiloh Curtis has been helping girls realise their potential and facilitating leadership skills for years. Her particular focus is AFL, and she's one of the people who have been instrumental in getting the AFL National Women's League off the ground. Shiloh is an AFL women's TV and radio commentator and columnist, and she joins us on the line from Melbourne. Hi, Shiloh. How are you? I'm terrific, thank you. There's not enough sun down here, but I'm... I'm all right apart from that. <laughs> so what's going on? In terms of the weather, it's uh, cloudy and overcast. Oh, of course. You're in, Mel- you're in Melbourne. Yes. If we should say that, shouldn't we? <laughs> Absolutely. That was, a, uh, that was a very typical Sydney response. Of course, you're in Melbourne. <laughs> I say that and it's completely overcast for me right now. So, you know. Tell us how you first started playing AFL as a kid. Well, I guess it was, you know, I guess my, my introduction to the game really came through my dad in, in lots of ways, not because he was a player, but my dad was an immigrant from Turkey. He came here in 1963 as a 13-year-old. And uh, for him, he really struggled as a Turkish Muslim man, young man to integrate into the Australian community. And it's pretty tough for him back then. And, and he found football as a way, just following the football, in fact, not even playing, but um, it was a really great way for him to be able to at least integrate and have common conversations with people in Melbourne. So Dad broke for Richmond, and so I broke for Richmond, so it's great. We just obviously won the premiership on the weekend. But, um, you know, when I was a little girl, and I loved my dad, and and he broke for Richmond, so I did as well. But we're a really sport-following family. No one ever played in my family at all. No one did anything in sport. But um, I was about five, and I realised that I was really good at sport. But I was also about the same age where I realised that I'd never get to play at the top level simply because I was female. That door was closed to me and I was I had a, a really strong awareness about, about that when I was a little kid. So I didn't play football as a, as a little girl. I kicked the footy at home and, or uh, my next door neighbour, I kicked the footy with him. I played at school, in primary school and, and the like and it just wasn't a done thing for girls to play in amongst the boys in community competitions when I was a kid. So I didn't find the game as a player until I was 21. Wow. Um, so I'm but very fortunate. I had a very good career and I played for about 15 years. I was a state player seven times and um, was an All-Australian player and I captained a premiership um, at Melbourne University and played about 150-odd games. So I did find the game eventually and, I, and football for me has been, as a player, has been very, very good to me. So over the years playing and coaching women's footy, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges that girls face? Well, it's an interesting comment, that one, because... Um, you know, people have asked me, you know, what was the one thing that you had to change to create the AFLW competition? And my, my comment, quite sincerely, is the world. Because <laughs> there was no one that thought that we could do what we did. And, and certainly, you know, it was sort of pigeonholed as being a niche market, that girls didn't want to play, their parents didn't want their girls to play. The obviously obvious negative sexuality stereotype comments around women and girls who play sport, no marketing opportunities, no mainstream media interest, so many different things. And we had to, you know, systematically um, account for all of those oppositional points of view, I guess, and, and literally change the world. And, and the other part that we had to really convince was a senior leadership within the AFL who 
didn't really understand the power of what they had sitting in their own backyard. You've said before that when you've seen girls play AFL, that it's like it's the first time that they've been given permission to see their body as an instrument of strength. I found that comment really interesting because I would say myself looking at AFL or football or something like that growing up, I would never have approached that simply because it looked too rough for me. Can you explain a little bit more about that comment and how you've seen AFL empower girls? Yeah, well, I think it's really interesting that you perceive that to be too rough for you. And <laughs> I guess when you think about women and girls, oh, sorry, probably women of probably our age, I'm, I'm not sure how old you are, but I'm 41. 41 so yes, young, exactly yeah, the same. <laughs> so, but you think about how we were raised as little girls and, and you know, and even even very recently, and even there are girls that are ra- being raised like this now, and the commentary around um, the behaviour of the girls is, you know, be gentle, don't hurt yourself, don't climb that tree, don't fall over, you know, and the boys, you you know, go and climb that tree, go on, you know, fall over, go and be rough and tough. Oh, it's just boys being boys and it's good for them. And, and then the commentary around the boys and how they engage with their sisters is, oh, don't hurt your sister, don't be rough with her, be gentle type of thing. And so what we're taught from a very young age is that our bodies will break if we use them in a really robust way. Whereas boys are told, oh, that's going to be the making of you if you use your body in a really robust way. And so we, we are told this story growing up. And, and I've seen it firsthand when we've delivered clinics in schools for teenage girls where you ask them, what's the one thing you're most fearful of right now? And they'll say tackling. And then by the end, you show them how to tackle, you show them how to do it properly, you show them, you teach them how to be tackled as well as how to tackle. And the commentary that comes straight back when you ask them at the end of the clinic, what was the thing you enjoyed the most? And they say tackling. And you watch them get tackled for the first time and they hit the ground and there's a moment of fear in their eyes and then they land and then they realise that they're okay. And then, in fact, that was quite exhilarating and that was so exciting and I want to do that again and I want to do that (laughs) for you next. And there is this kind of moment also, a moment of sadness where they realise that they've been sold a story their whole lives. But this story that if they use their body that it'll break is actually not the truth. And then when they realise that their body is actually an agent of strength, there's such an empowerment that comes within them uh, as a result of that. And it's really wonderful to watch. And so you ask all the girls, teenage girls that play, what's the thing you love about the game the most? And they'll say the physicality. We just love using our bodies. And it's something that they've never really been given permission to do. So um, it is really wonderful. And um, it's great that women can now... You know, the thing about the thing about tackle sports is that your body is valued for what it does, not for what it looks like, and that's really beautiful for women and girls because we don't very re- we rarely get that op- opportunity to be valued for what we do rather than what we look like with our bodies. It's interesting when you talk about the physicality of that um, sort of empowering girls, but I'm, I wonder as well if that extends beyond the field and beyond the sport because, and this is really tangential, but I have a friend who when she does yoga, she does all the balances and is quite prepared to fall over. Whereas when I do the balances, I'm really scared of falling over. And I, I actually see that she takes that attitude into her life. Like she's more willing to take risks. She's more willing to give something a go. She knows that if she falls, she can pick herself back up again. Do you see that physicality of, you know, using your body in that physical way extending beyond the field? Oh, absolutely. And and certainly, um, and it depends on how you lead that too. I mean, you can lead your young people um, with that ethos around when, you know, when you use your body and you bring yourself, bring all of yourself 
Um, you know, and if you fall over trying to bring all of yourself, well, you just get yourself up and you dust yourself off and you go again. And you can you can certainly lead young people with, you know, a narrative around that into the rest of their lives. But I think they pick that up organically anyway. You ask the girls, and you know, they feel amazing. They feel exhilarated when they use their bodies. And so you, they feel so empowered and strong and confident that that confidence, you know, resonates in all the other parts of their lives. And um, I've spoken to parents over the years who just say to me that, They've just seen such a difference in their daughter's confidence in the rest of their lives since playing football. Probably the best comment a parent ever made to me, um, or not so much to me, but she did in an, an interview um, with a newspaper, and she said, um, she said, I love the fact that my daughter plays a game that requires her to have courage. And mm. I think that's really, that, for me, that's always stuck with me, that, yes, and, and certainly my work at the AFL was, you know, yes, it was in sport, but for me it was never about... Um, it was never about sport for me. Um, anytime you do any work around providing equality for women and girls, that's human rights work. And so I took that, I took that responsibility um, very sincerely. And so I love the fact that my work facilitated the building of courage in girls because that resonated. That's what we need in our lives, you know, whether you're male or female. And that's, that's part of the, bit, the resilience piece. What we know about life is that there are lots of different challenges, but, you know, the difference between me and you is often the resilience piece, you know, whether you or I are prepared to be able to bounce back or do we have the resources or skills to be able to bounce back. And I think that's the critical piece that, you know, contact sport teaches kids to have courage and it also teaches them the ability to bounce back. My um, my husband's a huge AFL fan, having grown up in Adelaide, and he's, because we come from such different backgrounds, I'm not a sporting person he is he played AFL he talks about AFL fever grand final fever and how you don't understand unless you're on the field but one of the key things apart from that kind of emotional connection to the game that he wants to give our kids he always talks about team sports giving children that idea about what it is to work within a group of people and how you can be a team together and the friendships that you form in that way. Is that another asset you think you see for girls playing AFL? Oh, absolutely. And one of the beautiful parts of the game is the fact that we're allowed to physically put our own bodies on the line to protect our teammates. And to do that, you've actually got to have a lot of care and love for your teammate. And it's not just about getting the ball through the sticks. You just don't want your teammate to be tackled. So, you know, you put a shepherd on or a bump to sort of stop an opposition player tackling your teammate. Yes, we can get the ball through, you know, further down the ground, but my, my, my teammate doesn't get hurt um, or doesn't get tackled. So that's a really lovely part of that. But there's this idea that I do that knowing that you'll do that in return for me. So it's just this reciprocal care um, and just a, a, um, a shared way in which we look after each other and how we go about trying to achieve the set goals that we we have. I guess the other thing is there's some really great research globally, but particularly in the US, around women and girls, uh, women that participate in college team sports, for instance, are more likely to have more senior careers in the business community, for instance. So there's some really great correlations between, you know, I guess the lessons that you learn through sport about collaboration and empathy and shared purpose, but also appreciating and respecting and working with the diversity and and individuality of your your teammates, but doing it in a way that we're all able to um, work together. You know, you've got to find a way to work together. And if you can't, then you know it's going to it's going to affect the outcomes that you're all chasing, and that that is so evident. Whether it's soccer, footy, rugby, whatever, you've got to be able to find a way to bring those individual needs to be able to you know, to bring those individual needs together.
You're listening to Kindling Conversation and I'm speaking with Shiloh Curtis, who is an AFL women's TV and radio commentator and columnist. We're speaking with Shiloh about International Day of the Girl and, of course, we're talking about AFL, but all the amazing things that the AFL gives women and girls when they play it, about resilience, about strength, about confidence. Shiloh, you've been working in this sport for over 15 years. What was it like for you being a part of the AF, the first AFL Women's National season? You know, I don't know if I've ever really been able to put it into words properly. It really was quite surreal. And for me, this has been a life's work. I mean, I spoke earlier about when I was that five-year-old girl and I realised that I was never going to get to play at the top level. The pain, the frustration, the anguish around that um, was really tough and certainly I realised it wasn't just that football door that was closed to me, there were so many other doors closed to me in life because I was female um, and so I guess that, that sort of set about a, a, chain, a chain reaction of you know, overcoming injustices in different ways I think, but for me my life's work has been around bringing about equality for women and girls and I see that the AFL is the most powerful social cultural change agent in the country uh, and the you know, being able to get the AFL to treat women equally, to put them in the same jumpers as the men, on the same stages as the men, um, give them the same access to the game as the men, um, the same aspiration and inspiration as little boys get, the impact of that will mean that we influence Australian culture more broadly because of the, the power of what the AFL is. So that, for me, was really powerful. And the other thing is that, you know, that very first game, I called that game for ABC Radio and I went down to the crowd earlier um, before the game started and I just wanted to get a bit of a feel for the crowd and, you know, I walked down Sydney Road into into from Brunswick into Princess Park where the game was played and, you know, as I had done so many times as a kid in, for men's games and there were people streaming out of cafes and bars and there were scarves on, it was summertime and the, the sky was beautiful and there was this parade of people coming in from all angles and joining us in this march to this, you know, to do something that had never been done before and 24,500 people went to that game, 2,000 people were locked out um, and I sat in the crowd for for a short time and just observe things. And people were there who'd never come to female football before. And there were little girls who had stars in their eyes. And, you know, there were dads that were watching their little girls with stars in their eyes. And, um, you know, there was such diversity in the crowd. And there was so much joy in Melbourne that night, you know, when we changed history. And I, I, you know, I think that's the thing that I feel most proud of or the thing that affects me the most is knowing that my life's work brought joy has brought so much joy to the world and that's so much more powerful than a bottom line or earning a lot of money or anything it's you know I I feel really overwhelmed in lots of ways that I guess the gift of my work has been joy for so many people and tell me did you have a moment where you just wanted to say I told you so <laughs> to all those people who said it wouldn't be popular because it really did seem to take a lot of Australia by surprise just how popular the women's AFL league was. Isn't that interesting, you know, that it took most, you know, everyone's surprised that it was popular. And what does that say about our collective understanding of the capacity of women and girls? You know, that's a really strong statement on where what we think is possible with women and girls. And all we did that night was open up one door and look what flooded in. My question now is, what 
what doors are closed? What other doors are closed? You know, what other capacity and potentials are we missing out on because we keep those doors closed? We're not prepared to open them. And, geez, what a gift AFLW has been for the broader community. But, you know, let's talk about the LGBTQI community. Let's talk about the migrant and refugee and asylum seeker community. Let's talk about the community of people living with disabilities. You know, what other capacities are we missing out on? Um, so that's, I, I guess that's the first question. But, you know, certainly we always knew that, the women that have been working in this space for for a long time, sort of you know beavering away behind the scenes to make it happen, we always knew that this was going to occur. The best thing was that you know at half time in that in that lockout game, and sorry, not half time um, in the first quarter, the CEO of the organisation, Gillian McLaughlin, you know, went outside and he met the people. He didn't send one of his minions or whatever down there to tell the people it was a lockout. He went out and met those people outside the ground and said to them, I'm really sorry, but the police have closed the ground. You cannot come in. And the vision of Gil with his eyes, you know, you know, like a deer in headlights, totally surprised. You could see him going, I can't believe I'm actually having to do this. <laughs> so, the a- so it's the AFL that is putting on this show is underestimating the capacity and the potential of what these women might attract what are the rest of us doing? You know, so that's the question I guess I, I leave for your listeners is that, you know, what what potential are we missing out on because we're underestimating what women and girls are capable of achieving? And, you know, and also what are we missing out on if we're keeping other doors closed to other groups in our community? Because AFLW was such a gift um, in so many ways for all of us. It was such a wonderful two months. Shiloh, you have left us on a very inspiring note, so I might end it there. Thank you so much for chatting with us. No worries at all. And uh, yeah, what a great day to celebrate. That's Shiloh Curtis. She's an AFL women's TV and radio commentator and columnist. And if you'd like to get involved with uh, AFL, if you think your little girl would like to play, we'll put links up to where you can find your local club on kindling.com.au. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible, and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.